This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. We are searchlights we can see in the dark. This week's spotlight, we're going to be talking about a couple different things. We are rockets pointed up at the stars. I'm looking forward to this discussion. We are billions of beautiful hearts. Hi, this is Jen from Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen. And I'm here with Lynn today, and we're ready to do our spotlight. How are you feeling, Lynn? Well, good overall, but uh, concerned and a little... uh, worried about the subject we're going to be talking about. This is something we're going to visit, I think, week by week that's been ongoing and has to do with uh, the situation in the South with Roy Moore and the concerns about all of the individuals who come forward and talked about abuse. Yeah, Lynn. So I think that this is such an interesting topic and we're trying something new here where this is a spotlight where we're recording it ahead of time. But I think with the Roy Moore election coming up, we anticipate that this is going to be a big issue. And I think being able to discuss some of these things before the election happens is really important. One of the areas that really interests me with respect to Roy Moore is that a young, uh, an individual who was abused at a young age at 14 has come forward with her story. And there's quite a bit of documentation uh, done really by the Washington Post where they researched individuals she'd talked to. She'd actually described the home that Roy Moore lived in and a whole range of other things when this abusive behavior was taking place. And she was pretty clear that she had told uh, the friend, and the friend was clear that she had heard that this was an older individual and, who, and she had alerted Roy Moore to her age and all of this. And the friend actually advised her not to have the relationship that was intended. Yeah, I mean, I think it points to the importance of verifying. You know, I think there's a big clamor about this becoming a witch hunt. And I think this is a perfect example of how, no, it's a very thorough process and that they are taking the time, especially a place like the Washington Post, to make sure that they're confirming these stories and that, you know, these these allegations, they're putting together all these different pieces and doing the research to make sure that what they're presenting is is factual. And one of the statistics that has to be repeated, can't be repeated enough in these situations, is that for years, you know, women who've been harassed and children who've been abused, you know, have a very high veracity rate, above 90%, and usually closer to 98%. So the allegations are not false that come forward. So that should be the assumption instead of really the other way around. And I think that's the thing that it's hard for people to get used to here, that this is already to come forward takes a lot of effort for women. Women 
women are silenced, girls who are abused are silenced. This 14-year-old individual waited years to disclose, very typical. So this is kind of a typical pattern. Yeah, I mean, so the abuse that they're talking about is, I think it was listed that Roy Moore was around 30 or 32, I think is what it was. So, I mean, he's now 70. So it's been a long time. I guess, you know, we're tracking down some of these individuals and they as it goes on a very long time. And we just heard today that Matt Lauer had resigned. And that's another example of this. Um, one of the things you shared with me was that there was an organization that went and investigated this. Can you tell us a little bit about this organization and their process? Yeah, I was about to bring that up, actually. So, I mean, what you're referring to is this woman who made a false accusation about the fact that Roy Moore impregnated her um, and then forced her to have an abortion. And so this story was brought to reporters of the Washington Post, and it happened to be the the two female reporters who had originally reported the allegations against Roy Moore. And they went through this whole process and, and vetted her, and they really figured out that this was not a true story. And this woman, as they were doing their... Um, their research, they found that she actually worked at Project Veritas, which is a conservative uh, company who lists their motive as exposing media bias. And it was just very interesting to me that this woman would go to such great lengths to try and discredit these other women, or maybe not specifically that, but to try and discredit the media. And it really kind of backfired on her because the Washington Post journalists did their job and they did try to verify all these statements that she was making. And that adds another layer that there's a group out there doing this type of investigation. The other uh, verification process is really one when you have a number of women come forward independently and describe an abusive strategy with one abuser. And if you look at the low, uh, really, number of false allegations in this area, and then you have five, six, seven abusers, as we do in these cases, it really pays to pay attention. And many, many more are silent, because only a small number are really coming forward to tell their story of abuse. Well, I think what's so interesting, too, because I've been following up on this story, is these women didn't just come forward. It was actually a reporter who had overheard something being mentioned, and then they sought out these women to see if the stories were true. So I think that's really interesting to to comment or notice, is that these women actually didn't come forward on their own. They were They were found. Mm-hmm. And that's more typical, right? That somebody would be found in that sense. Actually, in the '90s, Anita Hill was found, you right. know, and she really wasn't coming forward apart from the fact that she was asked to testify at the Senate hearing, you know, by I'm forgetting whether it was the Department of Justice or not. But uh, it's really important to recognize that even when these women are found, their stories are vetted, and then they come forward, they're doubted. 
Um, and this extends to the highest levels. You know, our president has been quite vociferous in his support of Roy Moore, and this is something we really want to follow. This is a man who has a number of individuals with allegations against him, both of them, Moore and Trump, and uh, this process is really important to pay attention to. That's kind of where I was going to take this too, is that I think it it brings back flashbacks for a lot of people where it's like, wait, didn't we already go through this? And where you really thought that an allegation, which is backed by so many different stories from, or similar stories from different women, you really thought that that would make a difference and people would go, oh, well, of course that person can't take this spot. They can't be in politics in this way, of course. And that obviously didn't happen. Trump is currently president. And so when you have him supporting somebody who's sort of going through a very similar process, it really raises those red flags. And I think it makes a lot of us really concerned about this upcoming election, because where maybe before so many of us were like, of course he can't win because, you know, look at all of this happening. Now I think there's that doubt where it's like, oh, but he could still win. And I think we have to look at the words that Trump chose to support Moore with, right. which is really that Moore's word, Moore says that's not true, and that's a reason uh, to really back this up and to support it. So the veracity of the one man's word, you know, against a whole group of women's is to be believed. And this is our president saying this very clear message that men's voices are louder, have more power, and one man can stand against a whole group of women. So this is an important election. <laughs> well, I think what's so interesting, too, is his literal quote is just, he denies it. Look, he denies it. I mean, there's more to it, right? But he also just keeps repeating that in some way and says, he says it didn't happen. And it's so strange because it's like, okay, he says it didn't happen, but what about the stories of all these women? What about all the pattern? What about all the work that the Washington Post journalists do to verify these statements? And what about the low rates, really, of false allegations? I mean, it's the whole picture that really moves in that direction. And then he brings politics into it by saying, we don't need a liberal Democrat in that seat which I remember you bringing up as such an interesting point. Would you mind sharing it? Um, I don't remember exactly what I said about it, Jennifer, but I'm willing to hear the interesting point again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember you saying that it was really a commentary on, on the believing the women and that the politics yes. playing into that. And, I, you know, I think that I do remember that I think women's beliefs are, you know, questioned and we have really see pretty clearly now with the ultra-right that they do not believe women, you know, and they do not support women. And I think we have to talk about this really directly and that politically that's the way it's defined. I can't remember which woman it was, but at least one of them was a Trump supporter or is a Trump supporter. And so I think it brings into that question again, this isn't a liberal versus Democrat type of thing. You know, it really is about sexual abuse and sexual harassment. And we've talked about it in earlier programs, but it really is that people, men in power and abusing women irrespective of political doctrines. You know, so we recognize that, and Trump is all too willing, I think, to see Franken fall, you know, and, you know, Rose fall, and 
probably Matt Lauer, we'll hear about later today. Right. Uh, but, you know, all of these uh, individuals are more toward the liberal or democratic side. Yeah, I mean, I think it really is, you know, a big complaint from the liberal democratic side is that the Republicans here are really choosing their party over people. And I think a quote like that is a perfect example. I wonder, too, about the women who voted for Trump and uh, a large, uh, the majority of white women voted for Trump. 53%. 53%. And I wonder, I wonder about that, that group and some of our listeners. And, you know, it's a time, I think, to think about all of this and where women's voices are in this campaign. And we were talking a little bit about Saturday Night Live naming Ivanka Trump complicit in all of this behavior. But I think a lot of women, you know, have participated in this, but we can speak out and we can change our voice really with this. Well, I think that's interesting because that's something that I wonder too is, you know, where are these women? Have they changed their ideas? Have they gotten more polarized? Because a lot of times what I, what I experience at least initially is for, for people who hold opposing views, when you're discussing it with somebody who holds the opposite view, it it kind of just makes you cling more tightly to your own view, unless you're open to really hearing about these things. And so all I can do is hope that there are women out there who are thinking about these things differently and not just looking at the parties and saying like, oh, look at those Democrats, you know, they're all being outed. It's really not about party. It's about power. Yes. And the party and power in right. this case. It's right. really both are together here and how they think about it. And I think it's important to watch the reactions of uh, Democrats You know, as, um, you know, many Democrats have come forward and said, we have to get rid of the members who are really abusing, even if we lose a lot of voters, you know. That actually reminds me of a really interesting point that you were bringing up when we were just talking about some of the abuse and how abusers function and how they respond to being accused. And I remember you were saying it was very interesting because in a way, You know, well, so it started with abusers are acting in their own self-interest. I don't think there's a debate about that. But I think what's really interesting is that Roy Moore, in continuing his campaign or continuing to follow through with it, he, he is acting as he believes his followers would want him to because he's acting in his own interest. And I think that for me is so striking because as you see with Matt Lauer this morning, you know, right away, the the network looked into what was going on, said, okay, I believe that this is really happening and they fired him. So they're acting in their best interest, which is to fire him. And so it's very, I think, very striking the differences. Well, it's very interesting because we're in a point in society now where I think it's being for the first time and it's in the last two months, it's begun to be seen as a liability to carry an abuser 
with everything that entails. And that in general means, you know, a, a serial abuser has a lot of other factors in play, which is often that he doesn't care about other people. He prioritizes his own needs. So think about the individual like that in politics. And then we're transitioning, really, to we don't want people like that in politics for the first time, or not only in politics, in TV and entertainment, all of these different areas. So it's really an important time for us. Well, I was going to add to that too, having worked, you know, and, and seen how some of it has gone systematically before, you see how the abusers gather people around themselves in positions of power. And those people rally for the abuser when they are challenged, when they are accused. And I think this is a slow shift that we're seeing, or maybe for some people it's quick. I don't know, but it's definitely a shift where you're seeing that, sure, there are some people still following into that pattern, but a lot more the people are saying, no, we aren't going to tolerate this here. And yesterday, for the first time, uh, one of my teen patients, I've seen her in really in treatment about two years, and she came forward and talked about her experience of abuse. And I, I think it was because she felt supported in the environment that's being created out there. And she left at the end of the session, I think, more relieved and kind of more full as a person than she's ever been. And I think a lot of people are experiencing at least some of these feelings. We're not all in, in therapy, but right. we're feeling like we could share our stories with other people. Well, certainly I've noticed a pattern of disclosure in my therapy sessions, you know, where people, you know, maybe we're talking about something else, but then it comes up and they tell me about these abuse stories. I have to say it's been really challenging, <laughs> but I think also very empowering for these women and men to come forward and say, look, this happened to me. I've never talked about it before. And I think it really is about the social environment that we're in with the Me Too campaign and all of this, you know, Harvey Weinstein and Spacey and Anthony Rapp and all of that. But I think it's also a personal reckoning where people are saying, like, I, I don't have to hold this in anymore and I'm not alone. Yeah. I think what troubles me the most about our national government is they're supposed to be our role models and our leaders. And it is is disgusting really to anticipate, you know, that this is the sort of leader that might be elected from a southern state. And similar to the feelings I have currently about our president. And that's, it's hard to live where, really with that and recognize this is who we're dealing with. Somebody who really functions, you know, very much at his own level, his own protection, everything is done. And not to protect our country, not to care for our laws. And it actually brings up something that we were talking about in our previous week's spotlight, which is really about that power and about how they abuse that power and by trying to normalize their behavior. And when you have someone at the highest level in our country trying to normalize this behavior, I mean, that's just so problematic for the people who do just take whatever he says at face value. And it really brings up that it's not only Trump's, you know, the allegations of Trump abusing women, it's that Trump supports others who abuse, you know, selectively. 
And that is really, really upsetting to see that type of pattern unfold because Roy Moore has more allegations against him than if we take the Franken situation, some of the others, there's fewer really that are really outspoken. I think they will come forward, but um, really different situations and they have to be listened to and respected in the same way. And I think it also brings up the point, which is kind of how we started the whole spotlight segment of really so much of this has happened in the dark behind the scene. People have hints of it. They maybe hear about it through whispers, but now it's really the light is being shined on it. And I think that's so important. Regardless of where it's happening, we have to keep shining that light. And the U.S. has more child abuse than other Western countries. And I think really opening this up and reducing, you know, this behavior in many ways makes a huge difference. So I look forward to talking more about it in next weeks to come. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lynn. 